Oh, hello. This is Hal. Welcome to my next podcast in Hal's Donut House. Donut be afraid of community. Today, I'm going to be talking with my son, uh, one of the, one of the most important parts of my life, Anthony. Um, give me one second. Okay, so. Here we are. Hey, what's up? Hi. How are you? <laughs> Good. Okay, so nice, um, to, meet nice to meet you too. <laughs> Already a smart ass. Yeah. But anyway, okay, um, what I wanted to do today was I wanted to let everybody know um, a little bit about you, a little bit. Of, I'm proud of you. I could not be more proud of what you do and the man you've become. Thanks. So, all right. So I'm going to, I, I want to get, I want to get the, 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 the difficult stuff over first. Okay. Let's get past the hard to talk about things. What's going on with the Super Bowl? Who's going to win this freaking thing? <laughs> Rams by a mile. Rams by a mile? Why? Yeah. Uh, well, everyone's talking about their Can't hear you. defensive line. Oh, okay. And uh, the Bengals offensive line just isn't up to par. Okay. They're just going to give Joe Burrow a, could be a nightmare for him. And uh, what about um, betting? How much am I going to lose on this? <laughs> I got I got quite a bit quite a bit in a not not going to disclose that. You're not willing to admit it publicly. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, I, I can understand that. We'll yeah. talk. We'll if anybody talk, that knows me knows that we'll talk got, about got, it after the event. <laughs> yeah, I've got a lot, I've got a lot of dogs in that fight. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so on a more on a more serious note, um, what's the deal with Snoop Dogg in the halftime show? I I, I miss the old days. You know, when they had the Rolling Stones playing. Yeah, yeah, Bruce yeah. Springsteen yeah. and everything. I understand, you know, urban culture and everything. Is he going to have like a, a wardrobe malfunction? <laughs> Snoop Dogg, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hope he's, hopefully he's on his best behavior. But, I mean, they have Eminem playing too. And I think Mary J. Blige is going to be there. So, yeah, it'll be all right. The one, the one they had last year with The weekend was really good. But Yeah. I mean, no more Michael Jackson's Rolling Stones, all that. Aerosmith. Yeah, I always thought Def Leppard should do it. Yeah, that was yeah, cool. Have, that yeah, was, and they're still around, so it's like they're aren't still they like playing 160 shows. years old. Yeah, come, out, still, come out in wheelchairs and shit. Yeah, but they're still playing shows. <laughs> they had a show here at uh, Truist Park. Yeah, uh, a couple years ago, yeah. they sold out immediately, and they, apparently they were good still. I was in Italy too. Yeah, it's 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 truly amazing that that uh, the classic rock that that I came to age in was a lot of the same music that you happen to like. And yeah. it's just weird, you know, it's just like, well, I grew up on 40 ACDC. years ago. Yeah, you did grow up on yeah, ACDC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah uh, it's worked out well. Okay, so, okay, so we talked about the Super Bowl. We talked about the halftime show. Um, now let's have a little fun. Why are you a paramedic? I mean, that's, you know, you're walking into people's lives when it's their worst moment in history yeah why um, why would you do something like that well it all started when i was uh when i was still working at crystal burger you know and crystals okay yeah, yeah and you told me you could take a year off just work there just you know figure out what you wanted to do and mm -hmm. I, I worked there and i had some friends my co-workers that were going there one of my managers was going to cheddar tech was going to the technical college down the road and she said that due to her financial status, when she got her financial aid, she was pretty much making money going to college because whatever, when you get financial aid, like Hope Grant, you know, Pell Grant, all that, and whatever you don't spend on school, the government mm -hmm. gives you back in a blank check. 
Okay, so she it was like seven hundred dollars a semester. She was like getting extra. So I'm like, wow, that sounds really cool. Yeah, like, yeah. it's free money. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, I'll figure out. I'll go to college and okay. figure out what I, you know, just take some classes and figure out what I wanted to do. And as I was making the decision, I'm like, maybe I should be a firefighter, like you were. And I kind of always wanted to do it in the back of my head, but I never really pushed myself to do it. Now it was the perfect time. Now I yeah. had a reason to go to school. And I remember some firefighters who come into Crystal. I asked them about it. Hey, I'm thinking about being a firefighter. They're like, go to EMT school. This is back in 2011, 2012. And they're like, once you get your 10 EMT, years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Once you get your EMT, you'll have a leg up in the application process. and You'll be ready to go. I'm like, okay, sounds like a good idea. So I took some core classes first. When I got into school, I was too late to get into the paramedic program because mm-hmm. back and I had known, no, I was too late to get into the EMT program. And back then when you went into paramedic, you had to have all these core classes. Mm-hmm. So since I was late for the EMT program, I'm like, well, I want to go to school now. So let me go ahead and get my cores out of the way for paramedic. Right. That way, when I'm done with EMT, I can go right into paramedic. And um, I went to EMT school and that first day of school, I'm like, I think, I think this is it. I don't, I don't think I want to be a firefighter anymore. I, I really fell in love with the EMS yeah. and ambulance. I never really had a, you know, a drive to be an EMT or paramedic when I was little, Right. maybe a firefighter. But once I went through EMT school, I had a really good teacher, Scott Anderson at Chatterjee Tech. He was a old grady medic, um, been, in the, been in the field for 20 plus years, tough teacher, yeah. very tough. And I just, I fell in love with EMS yeah. and I had gotten, I passed EMT school and I was set to start the paramedic program. And I was literally a week after I graduated and got my EMT numbers and I was set to start. And maybe a few days before the class started, I decided not to go. Um, I, I didn't, I, one, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was ready to be a paramedic. And two, I was tired of school. I needed a break. I wanted to just get my foot in the door, start as an EMT, gain some experience yeah. and then go to paramedic school. And I worked as an EMT for about five years, advanced EMT. Yeah. Um, and then I went the to bigger band-aids. Is that, is that what? The, yeah, yeah. 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 For a lot of people, a lot of people don't understand the difference between an EMT and a paramedic and EMT is like the workhorse on the truck. They do the IVs, they get the vital signs and the paramedic has more of an advanced knowledge base and they're able to give narcotics. They're able to intubate, which doctors, only doctors and paramedics are allowed to intubate. Even nurses can't do that. Um, but yeah, there's, it's another about year and a half or two years of school. And of course the pay is higher, but there's a lot more responsibility. Granted, even today, I still think I, I was a much better EMT than I was paramedic. I was just very, I knew what I needed to do. I knew how to communicate. I knew what my paramedic needed. Um, I still think I'm a pretty solid paramedic, but um, I, I enjoy- You have a good amount of saves under your belt. You know, recognitions and awards and stuff. And, yeah. Uh, you know, know. I'll toot your horn. I know you won't, but I'll toot your horn. You save, you save, you save lives, yeah. literally save lives. I'm, I'm my girlfriend Amanda. She she calls me a hero. I, I'm not a hero, but I definitely work with heroes for sure. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah, that's that's you know, it it's a difficult job in that you don't you can't save everybody. Yeah, and you, you tell yourself that you know you, you know that, but still, when when it doesn't happen, when you're unsuccessful, it's if you're any if you're worth your medal in EMS, you take it to heart. Yeah. You should take it to heart. You should care. Yeah. You know, a lot yeah. of there's just people in the field that don't. And, right. you know, and I'm very good at carment, car, 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 compartmentalizing. Okay. Is that what it, you know? Denial? And, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I, I'm very good at, you know, 
once the call's over, yes, on to the next call. Yeah, you know, yeah. restart. But you like still a- carry those feelings. I know you carry those feelings with you. They're, they sit in your hip pocket somewhere. They're, yeah. they're there. You yeah. know, the, you don't forget. You know, I find. I mean, I, you shared with me, and I and, and over the years, I had some experience where sometimes there was like a really, really great experience where you actually literally, you know, not, not, you're not announcing it anywhere, but you literally, you know, you saved somebody's life, literally. Yes. They would be dead if it wasn't for you, right? Yeah. You have those, right, that, that are in one pocket, and you have another pocket on the other side that you have, you know, you have, you have that patient that you came across that you would have had to have literally been God to save them. I mean, it was it's physically impossible. Unfortunately, life happens and death happens and you're not a miracle worker, even though sometimes it looks like you are to some people. Mm-hmm. There's only so much you can do as, a, as one person, as a human being, you know, and, yeah. and you have to, it, it takes a lot of, takes a lot of sharing and talking with your, your coworkers about, well, what do I do with this? You know, I, I just lost, you know, a teenager or, or, or was, you know, was killed in a car accident. And, you know, you know, we did everything. We went beyond what we normally do just to try and we were unsuccessful. And you carry that with you forever also, yeah. even though you accept the fact that, you know, there's some things you just can't change. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, when I first started this conversation about EMS, it's, it's like you're walking into somebody's life at the worst moment in time for them. Mm-hmm. You know, their world is falling apart or they just had a horrific car accident or, you know, a, 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 an accidental shooting or, or whatever it is. And you're there to try and save people, you know, and, you know, it, it's difficult to do. So I want to, I want to burst your bubble about something. Then we'll get back to the story. Yeah. You know, you thought that you thought that you started to uh, plant the seed of wanting to be involved in EMS out of high school at Crystal. Mm-hmm. Uh, as your dad, I'm going to tell you that that is not the case, that when I was an EMT and I went to paramedic school back in the late 80s, early 90s, and you were a little kid, you were like three or four or five years old. You were born in 1991. I had the big fat paramedic book, the same thing you it's had. It's Caroline's. Yeah. yeah. And you yeah. took that book and you, you would not put that book down. You're like, Daddy, what's this? Daddy, what's that? Daddy, what's this? I like the pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and you were asking, you were, you were massively, just by nature, inquisitive about the human body, medically speaking, mm-hmm. you know? And, and you had that seed planted in you years before you were aware of it. Mm-hmm. You know, mom being a nurse, me being a, an EMT and a, and a firefighter, you, you, were, you were brought into the world of serving. Yeah, and it's 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 not just you and mom. It's pretty much our whole family. I mean, if you look on mom's side, you got you know, Poppy was a New York City cop. Uh-huh. Uncle Russie, right? Uncle Kevin, yeah. Uncle Mike, yeah. And if if it's not that, it's military. We right. know cousin Russie, yeah, in the Navy. You know Nicole, she's a, she's a PA, right? And she's married to a guy in the Navy, right? Yeah. So right. It, it's it's just it's what I tell people a lot when you know when they ask me you know in the field like you know what what made you want to get into you know public safety or whatever. Right, right. Like it's just what, what's what we do. Yeah. It's just what my family does. Yeah. It's, it's the I remember when we were talking to I don't know if you remember um, Carl was the, the lawyer back in the back in the day. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know he was like you know I was in still in high school and he was like you know you think about getting into the family trade right yeah I'm like yeah not really but i mean it, it, it just it comes easy to us it comes yeah. natural to us 
my, my I, I tell people a lot, you know, being a paramedic for me, I, it's easy. Right. It really is. It just comes easy. If you care and you take the time to learn and really, you know, improve yourself and care about the people that you serve and care about your job and continue learning and always never stop learning. It's an easy job. Sometimes yeah. it's, it's just a matter of no matter how bad the call is, get them in the truck and go. Right. You know, whatever we can do in route, we'll try. Right. But just get me to the hospital. Just get the patient. The half the back when I tell, I'll tell a lot of people when we're running a call mm -hmm. and we're trying to get somebody out of the house and, you know, getting and getting them through a really narrow hallway or picking them up and having to lug them, up, put, a, put them on the stretcher and load them up and everything. Mm -hmm. I tell them once we get them on the stretcher in the truck, that's half the battle. Mm -hmm. half the battle's over we've won yeah. hey we've, we've ordered we're nowhere to nowhere to go but up from here yeah you know yeah. and it, it's just it's really it's easy you, just, you can't overthink it when you were a little kid in new york mm -hmm. um you had a lot of friends in the neighborhood michael Corey, the guy with the chickens next door <laughs> we won't talk about that anyway. no, it was <laughs> <laughs> A good childhood story. Yeah. But anyway, um, <laughs> you were, uh, I'm sure Michael will hear this or something and get a laugh out of that. Oh, yeah. But anyway, oh, yeah. yeah. We, we ratted him out. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, you were in a neighborhood. You were a part of the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. You know, you had friends in the neighborhood. You knew, we knew our neighbors, you know, and, and I think there's a, and, and the basis of this whole podcast series called Donut, it's a, it's a play on words. I'm a donut junkie. I love donuts. And it's donut or don't be afraid of community. And it, it's my goal these days being involved with Facebook is bringing the, keeping and, and nurturing the human part of community on a digital platform. You know, like when, when somebody, when there was like a disaster or, or an emergency in our neighborhood in New York, when you were growing up, we, we wanted to be involved. We wanted to help out. We wanted to support the neighbors, yeah. you know, being, taking a responsibility for something bigger than your family, yeah. you know, being a part of the town, being a part of the state, being a part of the nation, serving in the military and law enforcement and fire and EMS and that's all in nursing. That's all, you know, because it, there's a lot of jobs that you could do where you would make a whole lot more money than you're making now with a whole lot less stress. Mm -hmm. But we have a need in us, our family and many people that we know have a need to be involved in something greater than ourselves. And that's called community. You know, your grandpa, my father served in World War II without question. When he got home as a veteran, he was involved with all the community organizations and veterans organizations and, 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 and you know, Poppy did the same thing. Your grandpa, mom's dad, yep. he did the same thing. He was involved in all the veterans organizations and support communities and stuff. And we need to keep that alive because yep. it, first off, it enriches our lives being a part of something bigger than ourselves. And it needs to be done to, to keep us connected. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it, it's, you know, when, even when we were growing up, you know, it wasn't as, I don't think it was as ingrained as it was for you guys when you guys were kids, mm -hmm. but it was still like Mike's mom was my mom. Yeah. Like Corey's mom was my mom. Mr. Yep. Mr. Capella across the street yep. was like my grandpa. Yeah. Like we were, it was an extended family, mm -hmm. not related by blood, mm -hmm. but by love and 
community. Yep. And everybody cared, everybody looked out for everybody. Yep. And you know, you don't see that that much anymore. But and that's sad. Yeah. And and it could be because of the the digital age that we're in. But things like this, mm-hmm. I feel like, can kind of take the place of the old neighborhood. Yes. You know. Yeah. Yep. You know, because you, 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 everything's digitalized now. Everything's Facebook. Everything's, yep. you know. You were When you were a little kid, you were like, I don't know, I guess four or five. You had that little Hot Wheels trike thing. Mm-hmm. And you used to ride up and down the sidewalk as a little kid. And at one point in time, I think mom and I went into the house to get a cup of coffee or something. And a couple minutes later, the neighbor across the street and two doors down was knocking on our door. Because she saw you on your little kid bicycle driving down the road. Mm-hmm. But she knew you. She knew you where you lived. She brought you home. She felt a part of the community. Yeah. You know, she, she supported us and helped you out by bringing you back home where she knew you belonged. Thank God she did. Who knows where I'd be today? You could be like in Cleveland or something by now <laughs> on that little bicycle. Yeah, I could be a police officer or something. <laughs> oh, no, God but... forbid. No. <laughs> so we, like, we love the cops. Yeah, we love, yeah, we love, love the cops. We love, Lord, we love you guys. It, it's all, it, it's, it's a, it, we all dig each other. Oh, yeah. PD, EMS, fire. We always dig at each other, call oh, yeah. each other names. It's all fun. We, 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 we can't, we never fight alone. No, you know our no. brothers in the the police and the fire department. Uh, uh, somebody told me a long time about. ago. Mm-hmm. Always be nice to the guys with the guns. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but we really, we really couldn't do our job without them, right? At all, right? We we, we need them. We need we need each other. We're a yeah. team out there because they're they're doing the same thing you're doing in a different aspect. Yeah, they're serving community. Hundred percent. You know, and and we know a lot of people in law enforcement, a lot of people in fire and EMS, and there's like. You're right. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a secret handshake, a brotherhood. Yeah. You, you know, uh, you know, we, yeah, we joke with each other and harass each other out of caring because we understand, you know, like there's an old saying of, you know, why would you want to be a firefighter? And, you know, that, you know, that seems like crazy, but, you know, people say, well, a firefighter, everybody's running out of a burning building. Firefighters running in, yeah, you know what I mean, and yeah. it's not because they're suicidal or homicidal or or are thrill seekers. It's because they see the need. You know, that's that's a family's home and it's their belongings and it's their whole life. Yeah, you know, and it's just yeah. yeah. I've I, I've I've been blessed enough in my you know I've been doing this for nine years. It's been a very I've had a very long career. The median amount of like years for a paramedic or emt and ems is like about three to five yeah why you know, it just they, they get into the field and they get burnt out very easy i've been burnt out plenty of times yeah. i might even consider myself burnt out now just based on facebook with covid right and how, and how right. the stress is put on the healthcare system but you know i've been blessed to have such a long career and i've really there's been times i've fallen short where i could have maybe i could have done something and i i just wasn't there in time i didn't think about it in time and there was a negative patient outcome, but I've also done some, I've been blessed to do some amazing things. I have done some amazing things in the back of that truck. I have, I have saved lives, yeah. you know, of course, with the help of my partner and your fire department, you know, we're all, we're all together in that. Yeah. It's not just the paramedic. It's, we, we all saved that life. Let's, but okay. what I, I was getting to was, yeah, I've done some crazy stuff and done some amazing things, but it's sometimes just as much as the, the little old grandma holding my hand you know, on the way to the hospital and making her feel a little bit more her, comfortable. Yeah. Or joking with the patient when they're, you know, they're very upset. They just, you know, they're going through something and cracking jokes with the patient and right. seeing them, making them smile and smiling myself. 
it, that sometimes being part of that community like that yeah. is just as good as, as saving a lot. Yeah, yeah, really there's something that you just, you just touched on mm -hmm. and, and I'm going to bring it up. And that is uh, you hear it on TV a lot, but I've heard it in the hospital too. And I've heard it from some other professionals over the years. They're, they're standing in front of the patient talking to another professional about the patient and they're saying, well, this case, it's not a case. That's a person. And we do it. We do it in the hospitals too a lot. We'll just we'll call the patients by the room number. Right. And yeah, yeah. one of the uh, funny story. Now, yeah, I'm not getting, losing the humanity I, there though. You know what I mean? Not getting off track. My, my paramedic instructor, Ryan Denner at uh, Chattahoochee Tech, when I was going through, um, this is a good thing you can share, right? Oh, this is great. Okay, cool. Actually, <laughs> I actually credited him when I, when I graduated at our graduation for saving my career in EMS because I had just gotten off of working down in South Atlanta for three or four years, full-time, a lot of hours. I was extremely burnt out. We all are. We all were. Yeah. Just because of the, the, the area and the type of calls and we're just so busy and I was working so much overtime and you get, I got, I got, I was very jaded. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we all were, we all had bad attitudes. I came into paramedic school, hat backwards, shirt on top. Like it is on, now. Like it is now. But just, <laughs> I just. So some things don't change. Sitting in the back of the room, so I didn't care. Like, and just hearing mm -hmm. the other students who had worked, who were working other places, they're all so happy. They're so chipper. They're so happy to be there. And I'm just right. like, let's just get this over with. Like, right. And we were going, we had gone through, uh, we were doing some scenarios in class practicing. And I was talking to the patient. I was calling, sweetie, ma'am. All right, sir, let's go. And finish the call up, whatever. And my need time to, break down the call my teacher's talking to me is like i noticed that you called the patient sweetie and ma'am seven times i'm like oh yeah just, just something thing i guess just trying to be you know nice it's like what's the patient's name i'm like <laughs> and he, hello and he broke down just like you that when we start looking at the patients like just another just a call right or just a room number or or what have you you kind of lose a lot of that humanity, right? You know, which is now one of the first things I do when I get into, uh, when I go to go into someone's house, mm -hmm. I ask them, you know, I'll do, Hey, sweetie, whatever, yeah. like what's going on. And they'll start telling, tell me what the complaint is. And I'm like, okay, so I'm, and I'll ask the family or ask the patient, like, what's your name? So I can, so I know their name. So now, and I'll be like, my partner sometimes will be like, Hey, this is my name is Vera. Here's my partner, Anthony. Right. We'll introduce ourselves too. What is your name? Right. So that way you gain some humanity and you're not just calling them sir, ma'am, you know, because it, yeah, it lets you kind of get, come back a little bit. So you're not so emotionally involved, but at the same time, you have to be somewhat emotionally involved if, right. if you want to really do a good job. Because yeah. if, if you just look at it, like, yeah, it's, not, oh, it's another room number, whatever that happened, then you, you get jaded like that. And I was very jaded and we were halfway through our, our program and we were having, we, every, four or five months, we'd sit down with the teacher alone and he'd tell you what, you know, your strengths are, what your weaknesses were. Mm -hmm. And he told me right out of the gate, he's like, Anthony, I can tell that you have a lot of experience. You're very, very good on scene. You know exactly what needs to happen. A lot more, and it seems like you have a lot more experience than the other students, right? I can tell, and you know what to do. And you're great on that. You're great at patient care and all that, but you have to work on your affect and how you treat people. Right. And, you know, my, my fellow paramedic students now we're, we're great friends now, but they were saying I, I was, I was kind of an ass. Yeah. Now my teacher's saying I'm acting like kind of an ass. Right. 
maybe there's something to it. Right. So I just started, maybe it was just the fact I wasn't working so many hours anymore, but I, I just started to be nicer to the, to our patients and act happy. Even if I wasn't happy, put a smile on your face. And I realized acting happy and looking happy makes you happy. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. if it looks like a dog and barks like a dog, it's probably a dog. Right. But, and I just changed my, I completely changed my outlook about my career and how I treated people. And that's why I told him, like I said, when we graduated that he saved my career because yeah. I was going down a bad road and I still find you just can't help it working a 24 hour shift. Right. You're up for 20 hours straight. You're running that, you know, somebody calls in for toe pain right. at four in the morning. Right. You know, they do call in for that. People do call in for some, some, some wild things, but you know, you can't help but be a little upset yeah. and a little, you know, aggravated, but you know, me and my partner, we'll, we'll sit there in the truck all day and we made it a rule between us. We'll sit there in the truck all day and complain and moan about doing this or doing that. But the second that door opens, your attitude has to change. You yeah. check your attitude at the door. Yeah. And when you walk in, it's, it smiles. It's, hi, ma'am, what can I, what's going on today? As ridiculous as the complaint may be, you need to treat the patient with respect. I love that. The, the patient never deserves to be treated bad. Because even if it is a small complaint, sometimes to them, it's the worst thing in the world. Right. Of course, to us, we see this all day. Right. This isn't that big of a deal. Right. Even a call that might be serious still isn't really that serious. Like, but you, to them, it is. Right. It's their grandma's having the worst day of her life. That right. family is having the worst day of her life. Sometimes they're never going to forget this. Right. So you need to have more of a perspective. Let me talk to you about something here. Uh huh. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because we could talk, talk hours about all of this stuff. Huh? But two years ago, February, I guess it was, um, society changed, no less. I was going to say EMS changed, mm -hmm. but it's the bigger world. than the world changed because of COVID-19. Mm -hmm. And we're going to stay away from politics. We're going to stay away from all that stuff. But I'm, I want to, I want to, I wanted to spend a minute talking to you about the human side of it, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and, and we're going to stay away from you should, you shouldn't, you this and that, you know, take the shot, don't take the shot, 12 boosters, 16 masks. We're going to stay away from all of that. Uh -huh. That's not what we're here for. When we talk about community, we talk about how it's affecting our community and COVID-19, e even for me, who is not in EMS anymore, was negatively affected by it. And I saw how it started to affect you. So walk me through the early days of what, it, what you thought it was going to look like, yeah. what it started to suddenly be like, and how have you survived? I remember you coming home from work, being very, very frustrated, sad, angry, hurt, disgruntled over the situation that you were seeing out in the field. Talk to me about that. You know, what did it look like when you were walking into it on day one? And yeah, just, you know, we don't want to spend 40 minutes on it, but yeah. talk to me about it for a minute. Sure. It really affected everything. Sure, yeah, we can go on from this. This could be a whole podcast. Oh, yeah. Itself, oh, yeah. Man. yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, early days, we had heard about it because, you know, I like I've been doing this for nine years. We, we've been through we went through flu in 15, mm -hmm. which was bad. Yeah. I thought I thought it would never get as bad as flu in 15 did. Yeah. Whatever for whatever reason it flu just hit 
the Atlanta area bad. I mean, we had long wait times. So we had gone through that, but that was only maybe a month or two. Right. You know, and then we, we had Ebola. Ebola, 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 Ebola yeah. that we never really saw. Yeah. Like we had a couple patients here, not me personally, right. but I know they had like a, a few of them in Atlanta. Like right. I, I really know, don't know how the scale of that, but we, we, we were prepared for that. You know, that was Ebola was the first time I saw the N95 masks. Right. You know, I, we had them somewhere on the truck. We never used them. Right. And they were just there. I, I had that confused with a HEPA respirator, which are two different things. They look almost the same. Right. But and that was the first time I saw the N95 mask where we were sitting. I was working for Bartow County at the time right. and we were sitting in the crew room and our, uh, our boss walked in and he had the, look, it's like, it looks like a platypus mask, like a duck bill. Yeah. The mask on and I'm like, he's just wearing it. And we're all laughing at him. Like, what are you, what are you wearing? He's like, right. I don't want that Ebola. Right. Like, okay, yeah. whatever. And so we didn't really see any of that. But then in 2018, when, when 2019, 2019 yeah. whatever, whatever year it was, when we started hearing about COVID, we knew it was over in China and then just watching the news, not really paying attention, but it was spreading down to Europe. And the first patient had arrived, first patient in America had gotten it. And then like 20 people had it like the next day. And then the next day, like 300 people had. It. So like we knew it was there, but we were still thinking, okay, it looks like we were looking at the symptoms. Yeah. Like it looks like another flu. Right. And the, we knew that we needed to put our masks on. We still really weren't. I remember we had a patient, we were, we had a, a, a male, we had one of the first patients in our County right. that had COVID and it was at a, a medical clinic and he had a history of asthma. It was an older male with some odd health problems and it, she was doing a nebulizer treatment on her and nobody was wearing masks. We brought him in the elevator with this nebulator, nebulizer going mm -hmm. aerosol everywhere. And we're just sitting there, no masks, nothing. Nobody, you didn't know. Nobody knew. Yeah. And we yeah. got him in the back of the truck and I will never forget this. We put, we got him in the back of the truck and our equipment's kind of finicky sometimes, but we placed them on the SpO2 monitor. It measures your, your blood oxygen level. You know, usually anything lower than 90-ish percent is a problem and we need to put them on additional oxygen and they were right on a nebulizer. And I put the, the oxygen saturation meter on him and it read like 66%. And I'm like, he's breathing still, but I'm like, that's not right. Yeah, there's no way. Right. And I'm like, surely it sometimes it takes some time to, to, you know, to accurately read. And if their hands are cold, they can be, or if they have nail polish. Obviously he didn't have any nail polish on. Right. And I'm, I'm feeling his hands. They're warm. I'm like, eh, maybe it's just, uh, maybe it just needs some time. Took him to five minutes down to the hospital. And we got in the hospital and it read like 70%. I'm like, there's no way this is accurate. We get him in the, into the ER, get him out of the bed. They put theirs on. It's like 68%. And now we're starting to kind of like, okay, something's, something's going, going on, on here, here right? And, but he's, right. they're still, they're breathing adequately, but right. their oxygen saturation is 68%. I just, I couldn't put my hands around it. And then ran the call, got back to the station. A few hours later, our boss calls us into the office and he tells us, hey, just let you know that patient was COVID positive. We're like, oh, okay. And we were kind of worried about it because we didn't have our mask. I didn't end up getting COVID that time. I think my partner might have, I'm not exactly sure. The, the one I was working with that, that day was a part-timer, I believe. But then it was like, that was like the moment that was like the, the edge it's here and it's here. And then the next month or two was just, it was, it was a nightmare. It was every single day. We were just running difficulty breathing, 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 difficulty breathing. Everything was difficulty breathing. And we were wearing our mask, we were wearing our N95 masks with the surgical mask over it, trying to put the mask on the patient unfortunately you know not to get too political or anything like that but nobody was 
wearing their masks or doing the things that the CDC was recommending. Nobody was quarantining like they should have. Nobody was staying at home until they were made to, till till we shut down. Right now, when we shut down, it really tapered off. We were we were actually slow. And this is this is of you experiencing it out in the field. Yeah, okay. yeah, we were not statistics on TV. Oh yeah, no, no, no. This, this is what we saw in yeah. EMS. It yeah. actually it got slow yeah. because people didn't want to go to the hospital because people were afraid. Right, you know, we were getting a lot of refusals. People just wanted to be checked out. They were COVID positive, but they're having a little bit of a hard time breathing. But they really they didn't want to go to the hospital and they wanted to ask. So you know, is it okay? Should I go to the hospital? And of course, you know, place I work, our policy is to recommend that everybody go to the hospital. Sure, it's it's kind of now it's kind of tapered off, and the fact that some of our companies are actually discouraging us from taking people to the hospital that really don't need to go right. because. We had it. It wasn't still wasn't that bad, but maybe about a year in, when numbers were still going up, we started having a problem at the hospitals. What was the problem? So, it was the wait times. So the hospitals were getting so packed with people with COVID, or even just your regular your regular diseases and stuff that they didn't have beds, and they were running out of ventilators, and they didn't have beds, and everything. Every hospital was going on diversion right at the what's diversion mean so when a hospital goes in diversion when they have either too little nurses for too many patients or just not enough beds for patients so when we call we have to call in a report to the hospital so we get our patient put them in the back of the trunk and we call them call in the hospital whichever hospital we're going to mm-hmm. and they'll be like we're on diversion please try to find another hospital to take the patient to because they just don't have the they just don't have the capacity right. it's diversion is it's still a courtesy even if they divert us, we can still take the patient there. There's right. nothing they can do about it because right. of MTALA, right. the MTALA law, which states they have to treat the patient. Once they're sure. on the property, it's their responsibility. Right. And you know, it gets it, it gets to a point where every hospital is on diversion. Mm-hmm. So we say if everybody's on diversion, nobody's on diversion. Right. Yeah, and go me, to the I closest wanna, hospital. I want to cut to the chase. You you came home and told you you shared a story um, with us about a patient that you brought to the hospital with COVID who uh was on your stretcher yeah and this is this has happened to a lot of crews a lot of crews yeah, don't, don't get into a lot of detail but yeah what happened? yeah so um we were waiting for a room at one of our hospitals and they were just so busy and we didn't have we didn't have any other hospitals to go to and it was we had a sick patient and i was just kept checking on the patient kept checking, telling sorry we're waiting for a room waiting for we're waiting for a room checked on up checked on them again and they had passed on your stretcher. On the stretcher in the Waiting hospital. to find a room in the hospital. Yes. Yeah. And it, it's not the first time it's happened. Right. You know, I've had, I've had multiple instances where, we, and it's just in this past year or two that this right. has happened. And the hospitals have had patients, you know, pass away in the lobby. They're delivering babies in, in the parking lot. Because it, there's no place to do it. Yeah. Inside. It's gotten a lot better. Thank God. Yeah, thank God that it was, you know, six, seven, eight months ago. Yeah. But it's it, it was at the point where just and I was trying to explain to people, my friends and you know, family members and stuff that are asking about COVID and about the, the hospitals being packed. And like it's not about the fact that we can't treat COVID because we knew we at that at this point we knew how to treat COVID. We know how to treat COVID. Right. You know, it, it it's not so much a, the fact that they can't get oxygen, they can't breathe. It's the fact that their lungs aren't able to bring oxygen to the blood covid right. blocks that process right that's the problem we can we can give them as much oxygen as, as we want right but if it's not happening at the cellular level right then it's not getting anywhere that's why that patient we had was breathing normal 
but his oxygen saturation was so low. Right. Because it, he just didn't have any oxygen. Well. But it wasn't the fact that we couldn't treat the COVID. It was the fact that we were having problems treating our normal patients, our normal strokes, our heart attacks, our traumas, because the hospital is so packed with people with right. COVID that so, we can't see our patients that, you know, that are very sick. They, they do their best. And the hospitals, I, I can't give the staff at the hospital any more credit than I, than I have. I, I, they have miracle workers, miracle work. I, I feel like they've had it harder than we had in the yeah. field. And the fact that they're, you know, you have some of these st- the, the staffing issues that they've had, which was due to COVID too, because like I said, it had gotten slow. So a lot of the ERs went ahead and furloughed their nurses, right? Because they didn't, we did that. ERs weren't very busy, but the, that's Rocky. That's right. Rocky. But uh, the floors were busy, the, the right. admits, but the right. ER was not. So they right. were, furloughing a lot of nurses so nurses started taking traveling jobs because they need to make money they need to right, work sure. too and then when they started getting busy again they couldn't get those nurses back because right. they were making so much money in the traveling you know industry so it wasn't the fact that we didn't have beds we you're, you're having one nurse for 5 10 15 patients at a time so let me ask it's you, impossible let's, let's fast forward yeah we 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 hope and we pray that we're coming out on the other side of COVID at this point. God willing, you know, it's it's for all the all the non-political medical reasons. God willing, we're on the other side of it. How do you take this this two-year period in your not only in your EMS career but in your life? And how do you, where do you put this experience? How do you take it down the road and continue to be, you know, a good paramedic, a caring member of your community, you know, still caring so much about humanity and people? Where do you put this experience? How do you, how do you compartmentalize? That's the one. (laughs) Yeah. How do you, how do you put it someplace? I, what do you do with that? Me me and mom have talked about this. You know, she was in the, she was in, she was a nurse for 20 plus years. Yeah. You know, she, and it, it makes my job a lot easier being able to come home and talk to you guys about it. I can talk to Amanda about it and my friends, but you know, and they're supportive, but they just don't understand. Right. You guys do because you guys have lived it. Right. So it's a lot easier to talk to you and you can give me criticize criticism back. But me and mom are talking, we talk about this all the time and we, we say that in EMS, our generation for like millennials or whatever, this is our nine 11, but it's on a much grander scale. It's it's a, it's a, it was a disaster. It's still, it's still, it's still a problem, but it, yeah. it, it's an overwhelming, it's a, it's a, ma- it's a mass casualty incident on, on the whole, planet. on a global scale. Yeah. So coming out of it to take what we can take from it is, you know, knowing that we lived through it, understanding what we did right, what we did wrong, what we can do better, because there's no doubt about it, there will be another pandemic at yeah, some of, point of some kind. Yeah. yeah it's never going to stop. There's right. going to be another COVID. There'll be another flu. There'll be another there'll be more disasters right. down the line. Yeah. So just learning from it and being prepared and understanding that, you know, when it does occur, you know, listening to the CDC and listening to the higher ups that have a clue about it. You know, these guys, even before COVID, they, they were, they had studied other pandemics. They said, you know, we, we went through AIDS in the eighties, right. You know, they understood what a, what a pandemic epidemic really looks like. Yeah. And a lot of the public, you know, we just saw it as, oh, it looks like just another flu. Where are you putting, where are you putting your experience with COVID? If you're going to, if, if there's like a cardboard box, that's your two plus year experience with COVID. Where is it going to go? Is it going to sit next to 9-11? Yeah. Does, yeah. That, does that sort of like make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it really will because like, it's just, it was a disaster. Yeah. And you'll. 
I tell my partner sometimes at work and I talk, I've talked to mom about it too. Like we'll be going down the, who knows how long I'll be in EMS. Hopefully a, a long, long time. And I, I eventually want to become a teacher and teach. And, you know, I, not the fact that I, I want to get off the truck or anything, but just, I enjoy teaching. Yeah. I enjoy having students. I enjoy teaching new paramedics, new EMTs. Yeah. I really, really, really do enjoy it. And um, I, I tell, I tell them mom and my partner and, you know, we're going to be looking down the road here, five, 10 years down the road, students could be coming up and they're going to be asking the veterans like us, like, did you work during COVID? What was it like during COVID? Right, right. You know, it's going to be like, like a, almost like a nine, like a mythological kind of thing, like a, a benchmark yeah. in EMS and public safety and healthcare as a whole. You know, it's, it's, we really are going to be known, seen as heroes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, like, yeah, and it, 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 it's yeah. weird it's weird to think about it yeah. I, I i hate you know being recognized as a hero i, I really don't like the attention right maybe when i first got on exactly. ems i did yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah 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 when i first became an emt you know yeah wearing my emt hat and stuff all the time like, sort of like it's <laughs> just my old, this is my old <laughs> county sweater because yeah, yeah, yeah. we'd be talking about yeah yeah you know this stuff but you know maybe back then but you know doing this for so long you know we we have saved so many people that it, it really is just a job you know uh, it, it it's and, and there's there's there are paramedics that are better than me of course plenty there's plenty there's some emts that are, i'm sure are better than me you know I, i'm i'm by far not the best paramedic i'm a good paramedic i feel yeah. like i thought i have a, a lot of experience but i mean i'm i'm not you know uh so blind to not be able to take criticism and understand my limits too. i want to i want to go i want to i want to take you back for a moment to um 1945 and you're going to think for a moment what what that has to do with anything right and i'm going to tell you exactly what it is during during you know global or national emergencies no matter how they no matter where they start or why they're there society we as a people out of pure need comes together to meet a need that we didn't know we could do in the first place. World wars, conflicts, 9-11. Epidemics. Epidemics, COVID-19. There's actually, you know, I, I wish there was another way for it to happen. You know, I'd rather it not happen, but there's a very, very, very actually positive outcome of these life-changing disasters that society goes through it brings us closer together as a people yeah you know um it's, when, a, it's a shame that it takes a disaster I, yeah i know yeah happened, it's but, like you know after, yeah, after 9 there is a bright there is something there is a bright spot yeah after you know after world war ii uh there were like you know parades down down broadway in manhattan with all the veterans and the soldiers coming home with the the pride the national pride and 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 joy of what we had accomplished you know defeating the negativity in world war ii and then you know 9 11 you know and you personally experienced this also with me during 9 11 where we would we would we would be in the firehouse, you know, September, October, November, December after 9-11 and school children were coming in and, and bringing American flags. And, yeah. you know, I have a coloring book downstairs, a, a whole a, a, a binder filled with drawings of what the children did to thank the firefighters during 9-11. Yeah. It almost brings me to tears. 
it does. Yeah. Um, driving down the street and seeing all the houses with American flags, not that America is any better or worse than any other nation, but the, it's the fact that for just that, that brief blip in American history, in world history, we were one. Yeah. We were united. We were, we stood for something because we weren't willing to fall for anything. Mm -hmm. And the same thing, unfortunately, happened with COVID where I'm sure that the, the doctors, the nurses, the physician's assistants, the paramedics, the EMTs, firefighters have, have now a, a bond of what we survived through and what you guys and girls brought society through. And it's something you're gonna take with you forever. You know, on occasion, it'll come out. I don't know, I, don't, I was a firefighter, I was a firefighter, I was a firefighter, I don't, that's not me, you know? <laughs> If somebody asks, I'll tell them, yeah. you know, um, and probably 80% of the time when, when they find out that I was a firefighter, the first question is, were you there for 9-11? Yeah. Because even for people that didn't experience it, they know the, the, the gravity of the situation of what happened. Mm -hmm. And I'm just a guy. Yeah. I'm just a person. I'm a flawed individual that tried to do the right thing for the right reasons, just like you do. You're a hero. No, I'm not a hero. I know. Me, me, neither am I. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah, I, I 100% <laughs> get that. That's what it's, I yeah. feel like that's what it's going to be for us. Somebody asked Down me the, the other day live on, on Facebook during, a, during an, uh, an event. They asked me live. I was doing a, I was doing a live event on, on, on the platform and they said, are you a hero? They asked me live on Facebook. And my first answer was the only answer I could ever give. And that is I did the best I could with what I had to the best of my ability at that moment. Mm -hmm. They had asked me if I saved lives mm -hmm. when I was a firefighter. Yeah. yeah, but that's not the point. The point is, you have to, I have to, we have to, we have to remember why we did it in the first place. Yeah. We don't run in, firefighters don't run into burning buildings because they want to come out with a, with a, you know, with a, with a, with a healthy baby in their arms saying, look what I did. Yeah. That's not what it is. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with owning a responsibility to do something for your society, for your community, for your family, for your town, for your neighborhood. Yeah. And, and you do the best you can with what you have and you move on. And God willing, you're able to keep your, your, your wits about you and your emotional being with you. Because walking through this, this life like this is not easy. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. There, Mom knows a story. I, I, you probably remember it too. When I was when I was an early EMT back in like eighty seven or something, I was a brand new EMT, and when they were still driving around on horses, and yeah, 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 uh, horse and horse and buggy. No, no horse and buggy. We had, <laughs> I think we had a motorized ambulance at that point. We were, oh yeah, yeah, we yeah, were electricity cutting back edge. There was electricity yeah. back then, yeah. And we went to a call of a pedestrian hit by a car, 
and um, a, 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 like a nine or 10 year old boy was riding his bicycle down a hill and he didn't stop, he kept going and a car hit him and killed him. Mm -hmm. And that was my first fatality. And um, I remember it to this day. Because not because I don't think I don't think it's because I couldn't do anything. I couldn't. Yeah. But because of the, you know, I saw the I saw the terrible nature of some parts of life. Yeah. You know, that child's entire future was wiped out in an instant. Yeah. The, the, that child's parents to this day, I'm sure, mourned the loss of that child. And that was the first time that I came home after a call to mom and I cried. Mm -hmm. because of the loss of that child and um there's a there's a uh there's a and i repeat this a lot because for me it means a lot there's a there's a sign on long island and and it's appropriate for a lot of reasons but an an adult never stands so tall as when they're reaching down to lift up a child mm -hmm. because for some reason, the next generation is what we're here for. You know, you were a surprise. We weren't supposed to be able to have kids. Mm -hmm. And um, when you were born, and and you, you're gonna you're gonna find out sometime in the near future that kids don't come with instruction manuals. Mm -hmm. God gives you a person says, "Here, go build this." Yeah. Right. And uh, thank God for Nanny and Poppy and Grandma and Grandpa and, and your aunts and uncles and everybody. We were given a lot of, lot of help, mm -hmm. right? But the moment that you were born, I came to a realization that my mission in life at that instant in time changed. Mm -hmm. Before you were born, mom and I were just, you know, having fun and being, you know, adults and doing our thing, right? And when, when I woke up on November 21st, 1991, no, October 4th, of 1991. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, October 4th, of 1991. Yeah, it must have been a really special day. It was, yeah. <laughs> um, you get old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> I realized that I realized that my mission in life was now to raise you to the point where you could survive on your own. Yeah. And with a lot of prayer and a lot of help and a lot of hope and a lot of mistakes, we've been there for, for years. And I wanted to do this podcast because we people need to know that this is what it's all about. Yeah. You know, we get stuck in going on vacation and paying bills and complaining about the government or whatever our, whatever our focus is when this here, this is what it's all about. Yeah. None of the other stuff matters because money comes and goes, houses come and go, but family and friends and community is the foundation of all of it. Yeah. And the day that, we as a society forget that will be a sad day yeah so i'm gonna uh, you know if there's anything else you want to close with let me know but no, this has no. been uh coming on an hour of talking with you yeah um i want to thank you for that 
Um, I appreciate the questions. I appreciate being able to talk about, you know, what, what we're dealing with and take it to a, 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 a grander scope mm-hmm. because we have, we've had a, we have had a really hard couple of years. Yeah. Yes. It's been, it, it really has, but I can't emphasize the word enough disaster, but you we're know, making it through and we're doing it as a society. We're doing it as a family. Yeah. And we're I, doing it as a community and as a country. And as, 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 as you talked about, you know, with, you know, being able to, you know, come home and talk about the bad call you ran mm-hmm. or what have you. And yeah, we, we might do a lot of saving and stuff. We it really, we really don't EMS. I'd say about, you know, not 90% of the calls we run are very normal, very pain. normal calls, yeah. high blood pressure, yeah. abdominal pain, you know, your lower acuity calls. Uh, the, there's the 9% of the calls are serious heart attacks, strokes, something that we're going to the hospital emergently for. Yeah. We're getting them up. See, and then 1% are just absolute, an absolute catastrophe. It's, it's an amputated limb. It's multiple fatalities on the interstate. It's a, you know, you lose somebody in a fire. It, it, it's rare. It happens once in a blue moon, but it does happen. Right. And I, I have had my fair share of absolutely horrible calls, blood, guts, you name it. It's, it's been there clean, cleaning the stretcher off of the hose right afterwards. Right. But, and it, it's those, those calls that you run where you can't do anything or you couldn't do anything or you did everything you can, you lost the patient that you always remember it. it we, I've done, I've, I've, ran plenty of cardiac arrests that we've gotten a pulse back on, you know, then ended up walking out of the hospital. You, you saved know. a life there. Yeah, we saved a life, but no, you saved a life. We saved a life. You so, did. My, me and my partner and the firefighters and the police and okay. we, we all had it, but yeah, but we, the doctors and the, the doctors. Yeah, yeah. We did say we saved a life, yeah. but I don't remember those nearly as sharply as I do the calls that I saw. I walked on scene and I saw something that, took my breath away immediately right granted you know you do this for so long you're able to have you know almost like tunnel vision which is good and bad sometimes but you, you're able to zone in on the call and yeah. you just you do it you run through it you run the call you put a tourniquet on you stop the bleeding you get an iv you call in a helicopter you get blood going and there's a million people around watching the whole thing filming videotaping you're loading the patient onto like a helicopter and and then you get back in the truck afterwards and that's when it's like Oh my, what did we just, what just happened? (laughs) Right. Yeah. What did we just do? And you decompress and you talk about it with your partner or your supervisor, right. You know, or your coworkers and you, you, you realize we just did, we just went through something traumatic. Mm -hmm. This was traumatic. Yep. And before you know it, boom, you're on to the next call, you know, and and there's nothing, you know, I, I get jaded and I get burnt out. You know, I I don't want to be up for 20 hours at a time. I would like to, if I run, if I have a 24 hour shift and I run two calls mm. and I, and I sleep most of the day, play my video games at the station. Yeah. That's a great shit that I love that. Let but me, at the same, when I was, when I first got into EMS, I wanted to do all the things, but you know, it, it, it gets to a point where, you know, you're running so many calls and you're doing so many things and you get so burnt out, but sometimes I'll catch myself. We'll be on, we'll be going down the highway or going down the road in Atlanta or something lights and sirens are going the windows are down rock music's playing I got my I got my sunglasses on and I'm just sitting there I got my paramedic patch and I'm just I, I, I'm just in, in the moment that is I am I can't be any happier than I am in that moment so I'll catch myself I'm like 
damn, this is a really sweet gig. Let me ask I you, I have to ask you, to, I'm going to ask you one question mm -hmm. and then we're going to end this. And that is, there is a nurse, a doctor, a paramedic, an EMT, somebody that's serving and they're having a hard time with it. What, I know plenty. What do you suggest that they do? How do you suggest they handle it? Where, where should they go? Is there help there for somebody? How do you decompress? How do you deal with burnout? What, they're in front of you right now. Give me, give me two minutes of what they're supposed to do. How, how can you help them? Um, drink a lot. No, no, no not at all. No, um, talk <laughs> like this. Talk. We're in EMS and, you know, in hospitals, firefighters, police, we're very, you'll, you would know once you start about a year or two in, it's a very small world. Everybody, once you work, especially when you're doing it nine years, I know everybody, everybody knows me. You know, the hospitals that we go to frequently, all the nurses know me. Right. We all talk, we all hang out, we all hang out outside of work. We keep in touch on Facebook, text, you know. Um, so what are they supposed to do? Talk. To who? To us, to, to, to talk to your, your partner. Your supervisors are they the only know. one that feels that way no just you know your co-workers your other other people in the healthcare field your family you know trust so trust don't hold process. it in no absolutely I, I, there's stuff that i hold in too mm -hmm. but you know talking about it and getting it out and whenever we run a really really bad call sometimes they do what's called critical stress debriefing and we all sit us the firefighters whoever was on scene on that call we all sit in a big circle and this usually they bring pizza, which is my favorite part about it. Oh, but uh, talking but, about your feelings is not important. Yeah, but as long had, as they bring pizza, we're good to go. Yeah, I I, I knew that we had a tight knit, you know, field and a tight knit group of people that I work with. Uh -huh. I didn't know until we had run a there. There was some. Uh, there was about a year or two ago. We had a fire where they they had lost a little a little child and a little autistic child in the fire, and we we were on scene the whole time with them. You know, it it was to the point where it was it had just become a recovery. After some time, we dealt with the family members, treated them, made sure they had everything they needed. And, you know, we, I made sure I didn't have to be there. Once once we knew that there wasn't going to be any more work to do, we could have left. But I stayed there because you know, it's so cliche. But like my shift that I work with, we work with the same firefighters every every third day. It's the same firefighters. It's the same the same chiefs. Mm -hmm. So what I've been on this, on this shift now for almost three years. Mm -hmm. So I'm the paramedic though. I, those are my guys. Those are my firefighters. Those are my friends. So mm -hmm. we're close and, you know, I, 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 I refuse to let them go through that themselves. I'm, yeah, they were, they must've had 12, 13 firefighters on scene, but what, what's another paramedic, but still to me, I need, I wanted to be there for them. I wanted to make sure they were okay. So, they're the ones in the fire. They're the ones recovering, mm -hmm. you know, recovering the. So this, this new paramedic or new firefighter, new EMP needs to reach out to his coworkers, his for family sure. and, and ask for help and get support. Yeah. And okay. about the community that we, that we have, I didn't understand how tight we were until we did, we had done that stress. We, we, the next shift or two after that, they invited me to come do the debriefing with them. Yeah. So I went over to the station and they all came down to our station and we, we all sat in a big circle mm -hmm. and seeing them talk about their feelings. These are, these are hard guys. Mm -hmm. These are strong Southern, Southern country boys. 
that fight fire and they're total badasses. I can't say enough about them, but seeing how this affected them, you know, they're in tears mm-hmm. and we're going, each person's talking about how, what they felt that day. Mm-hmm. And it brought me, when it was my turn to talk, it brought me to tears. And I said the same thing I just said to you, like it, it helped me get over it knowing that there was so many other guys with me that were going through the same thing I was going through. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand. You know, I thought these guys were just brushed off like it's nothing, but no, they were talking about their feelings. I talked Good. about my, and we got it all out and it works. Mm-hmm. It, re- it, it really does. There's, there's stuff you see in the field. You're never going to forget. Mm-hmm. You're there's, there's things you do that you're going to be involved with that, that, that you'll never forget, but you know, talking about it helps and being part of a community. There you go. For Thank sure. You. Anthony Blyweiss. Um, you make me proud to be a father. And there's a reason I, I named this podcast in particular, a son and his dad, because it's about us for this moment in time and giving something back to this community. I want to thank you for this time. I want to thank everybody for listening in. Uh, this is going to be on the podcast channel available wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, look for Hal's Donut House. That's the name of the podcast. And look for the one about a uh, son and his dad. I want to thank you again, Anthony. Give me a hug, man. We can do this. I love you. Love you, buddy. Thank you for uh, doing this. And uh, thank you for everybody for tuning in.